Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is May 21st, 2019, and I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to Red State Talk Radio. I'm here every day, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern Time Live. Uh, So, unlike many other people, I'm not going to be discussing uh, a lot into detail of what uh, Doug Collins dropped for everyone, all these transcripts. Because the only thing they did was actually confirm what we know. Though what we'll do is talk about what is really going on um, in the background. I also want to talk about Brexit because that's a very big deal right now. Um, And I promise not to cry on air. Uh, Today my daughter shipped out. Uh, She is attending uh, U.S. Army basic training. She left just a couple of hours ago. So for me, it's a bittersweet moment. I mean, I'm not sad she's going. I'm not worried for her. Uh, This is going to build her character. It's going to make her, you know, she's second generation. And I expect my grandkids and my great-grandkids and my my whole bloodline (laughs) stemming from me to serve their country. Because I think it's important, to be honest with you, I would be all for mandatory military service. Like at least everyone should go for a year because then we wouldn't have dildo waivers. We wouldn't have people that don't know how to actually work. And also they would understand what the cost of freedom really is. The cost of freedom, which is life, That is what they would understand. They would understand what it means to have a secure border. They would understand everything there is. I would say the workings of creating and, well, not creating, but maintaining a sovereign nation. And for us, more so a sovereign free nation. If anything, I would love to see something like that come on, come on the table. That way we can be more selective in the people that we recruit for positions uh, that require extraordinary skill and have almost every single, not almost, all women and men that are of, you know, that are able-bodied to serve their country. And even those that are not able-bodied, meaning that they're handicapped in some way physically, they should serve too. They should understand what it is. They should know how to use a weapon. They should understand what war is like. Maybe they can do the administrative positions, whatever. Regardless, I, I, I think this, you know, for me, her going there is going to 
create more character and give her a better outlook as not just a person, but as a citizen of a free country, the only country of its kind right now on the planet. And so for that, I know she's on her way. I wish her all the best and I can't wait to see her graduate. Uh, On that note, I wanted to start um, with what Doug Collins said. So I want to play a clip of his statements. Let me, where, um, let's see, where he discusses the developments uh, that Barr finds off, okay? Between election, between the day that President Trump was elected and his inauguration. Strange developments. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. I'll delve deeper into that because for me, the stymieing, the baby, toddler, I'm so upset, I'm going to ruin your presidency as much as I can, actions that we saw come from Barack Hussein Obama by pushing for the UN Security Council vote, by you know, putting forward more sanctions and all this other dodgy stuff is nothing compared to how they attempted to either delay the inauguration or annul the election results. But I want to play this clip where Doug Collins pretty much reinforces how Barr feels. Georgia, Doug Collins, the ranking Republican on the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, it's good to see you this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Maria. First, your reaction to the AG speaking out and uh, making no bones about it. There were questions then. He has more questions now. I believe when he's getting into it, Maria, what we're seeing is Attorney General Barr being an attorney general. He's actually looking at his department. He's looking at his, what has happened. He sees what's been going on over the past couple of years, and, and he wants to know what is uh, the predicate for it. How did we get here? Was there things that were done right? Were there things that were done wrong? This is an attorney general who seems to really take his job seriously, who's been very straightforward with the American people. He's been very straightforward with Congress and with the media. I think this is the thing that we have needed the most in this, is clarity from someone who says, let's find the answers, let's take all the spin off, and let's get to the bottom of it. And you and your colleagues have already done a ton of work on this. You've seen a lot of the redacted material and the classified information. Now we know John Durham is on the case. What will this U.S. attorney find out, you think, in terms of the most damning evidence? This is going to be the interesting part, and I think it really speaks well for the attorney general. And also why the Democrats are so afraid of this attorney general actually asking the real tough questions and putting uh, Mr. Durham in charge of this. The things that would concern me the most, the most damning things that I'd be looking at, is is there was there information that was misleading leading to the FISA court? Was there actual lies? Was there abuses there that now are coming out? Was there other issues that have been now uh, misrepresented maybe before uh, Congress or before other agencies as we go forward? I think these are the questions that you have to ask. What I appreciate about the attorney general not doing is jumping to conclusions. He said, we're going to investigate this. We're going to see what actually was out there because there's too many discrepancies in the stories. But if there are some out there who have been trying to now cover up their tracks... I think Bill Barr is going to get to the bottom of it. Well, the FBI has been saying for some time now that the investigation or the counterintelligence investigation uh, began in July of 2016. But we just had George Papadopoulos on just two weeks ago who told us informants were thrown at him as early as March of 2016. Are we learning more and more evidence that, in fact, the spying and the informants began way before the official uh, beginning of that investigation, which they're saying is July of 16? 
Well, I think that's what we're beginning to see. And I think that's the unraveling that is coming apart here. And you see many of the players who are now trying to actually come out and try and spin stories differently. We're seeing the story in totality. And you and I have talked about this before. It goes back to sort of that cabal that started under the, the mid-year investigation, the Clinton email investigation with Strzok and Page and Baker, Comey, all of this coming together. And it's, so now we're getting a better picture of the intent and, and better picture of what they were actually planning. As this is actually investigated, and Mr. Durham continues this, this is where I believe we will see the uh, either the confirmation of what many of us have thought, that there was this uh, determination that they didn't like the president, uh, now President Trump, candidate Trump at the time, and they were doing everything in their possibility to keep that from happening. And some people are still doing that. I mean, you've got uh, Jim Comey out and about doing town halls, doing interviews. And tweeting. This last tweet uh, he sent out last night. Look at this. The AG should stop sliming his own department. If there are bad facts, show us or search for them professionally and then tell us what you found. An AG must act like the leader of the Department of Justice, an organization based on truth. Donald Trump has enough spokespeople. Wow. Considering this was the former FBI director who met with the then uh, attorney. Okay, I'm just going to stop it right there. Can you guys see now how Comey has stopped referring to President Trump as President Trump and simply calls him Donald Trump? This is how you devalue someone by not acknowledging them as who they are. They're very upset. They're upset that Barr, who is one of their own, is now following the law. Because remember, Barr would not be doing any of this if Whitaker hadn't set the ground for him to ensure that he stays within those guidelines. Remember that. It was Sessions, under Sessions, that all these guidelines were set up. It was under Sessions that margins were defined. So Barr has no way of operating outside of these margins. And unfortunately, when you have a ball, a rubber ball, and you throw it within two walls with force, the ball cannot leave those walls. It will just bounce from one to another. So it's an echo chamber of facts. You cannot go outside. You cannot, you have to use the law. The law is giving him the margins and the perimeter, and he cannot go outside uh, outside of that. And what they're asking him to do is to walk out of those margins and justify. But as we see from the transcripts release, they were all creating the background as to why, in the end, deriving from the mid-year investigation did this counterintelligence operation start, which, keep in mind, was never, ever, brought to the attention of the Trump administration during the transition period. From the day he was elected up until the day he swore in, there was no defensive briefing or advising that there was a counterintelligence investigation underway. Attorney General Loretta Lynch on a tarmac two week, two days rather before he was supposed to interview the subject, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. 
I'm beginning to believe he protests just a little bit too much. I think the issue here is as someone who for years when he was not being scrutinized was looked at as this Captain America figure, I'm stepping forward for the good of the country. And now we're beginning to see that Jim Comey is really a much more political animal than he's let on to be. He's actually been one at the center of this whole thing for the last two and a half years, and now he's going out and actually talking about uh, Attorney General Barr and slime. Maybe he's, uh, I'm not sure where he's coming from on that part, because the former FBI director has put enough slime out there himself about how he has acted and how he has went forward on many things when we look at his performance, especially coming out of the Clinton investigation, into the issues with the FISA, into the issues of the Russia investigation. Like I said, Maria, I think we're finding someone who's protesting a little bit too much because he now knows somebody actually may look at what he actually did do. Right, and that's exactly what the AG is doing. Let me ask you about Robert Mueller because your committee has wanted to speak with him, to have him come down and testify in front of judiciary. Is somebody slow walking this? What's going on? Seems to be. At this point, the, the uh, Attorney General actually talked the other day and said he's got no problem with Mueller coming. I've asked for Mueller to come, and I know others have as well, because we have serious questions about, you know, the Mueller report as well, not just the fact that there was no collusion, no obstruction, and, and no charge obstruction, but actually what did he look at? When did he actually come to the conclusion that there was no obstruction? When did he actually decide that there were issues that we didn't look into the dossier more? These are the kind of questions we want to see, but it is interesting that the chairman of my committee, Chairman Nadler, has talked about getting Mueller there and then he talks to him some more and, and we're still not having him here. So I think the interesting thing here, uh, Maria, is Democrats are becoming more and more concerned about what they're finding out. They do. Okay, and before I continue on this note, everybody wants to talk to Mueller because remember, even in the transcripts that were released, you'll see that the constant question, the questions that were there were Strzok, Peter Strzok and the team that was attached with him. We're all part of this mid-year exam, uh, you know, investigating into the Clinton email scam and then the DNC exchange server hack. And, and then they initiated this whole dossier and they were in on that. And then they were on the counterintelligence investigation. And then they suddenly became part of the Mueller team, too. It's like continuity or what? If you're the special counsel, you're not going to bring on the same people that have been that were that were at the origination point of such an investigation you would not because it would muddle and it would be biased and no one's going to sit there and say their work wasn't good but like collins is going to say now the more the democrats are getting transparency the more they don't want to look at it they don't want it because it's showing exactly what happened it was all good and fine as long as people said no but now they're demanding transparency and as they get it they don't want it they did not get out of the Mueller report what they wanted they don't like an attorney general who's actually doing his job and now they're beginning to worry that if Mueller comes in and just confirms what they have they're in a tough political position and I think that is the problem that they're facing now is what do they do with what they promised when they went out over their skis and said all of this is going to be proven and Donald Trump is guilty now they're having to deal with reality. And that's one reason that you've been releasing a lot of transcripts of these closed-door testimonies so that the American people can understand exactly what was said during these testimonies. Are you going to be releasing more testimonies? We will be. We're, we're making that final case right now. We're getting it all together, but we will be soon, Maria. Uh, are you going to be releasing Andrew McCabe's testimony? He'll be part of the, the group that is released, yes. 
So I wonder, because I know you, you, you spoke to Andrew McCabe early on. I'm wondering if you believe that Attorney General uh, Bill Barr should have uh, Andy McCabe come down and speak to him. Well, I think that would be what the, the process that the Attorney General is actually looking into as we go forward. So I'm sure he'll be caught up with the, the questions of just how this got started. Bill Barr's made it very clear. I want to see how this started. I want to know how this progressed. And I want to know how it actually is, is coming to play. Because what he is undoubtedly he has seen, and there's nothing to doubt Bill Barr's honesty. There's nothing to doubt his truthfulness. He's been truthful in everything that he has said so far to everyone. So I think he is really taking this in a very panoramic view. He's looking at it from all sides. And he said, I want my folks to look at this and determine, is there, was there something wrong? If there was something wrong, will there be, they will be held accountable and that it won't happen again. This episode in our history is something we need to make sure that FBI and Department of Justice is operating as it should and that American citizens do not have to worry about a FISA process and a FISA court being abused. Yeah, well, there was, there was misleading information, which people want to understand why the FISA court was not told that Hillary Clinton and the Democrats actually paid for that uh, Steele dossier. I, I want to ask you about what you're doing in this upcoming week, because, Congressman, I know that your committee is going to be voting on three bills when it comes to immigration. All right. So I stopped it right there. What I wanted to reinforce is what Co Representative Collins said, which is that Barr wants to stay within the scope, but look at it from all angles and make sure that it is legally sound, but also puts in effect remedies. Now, the government's um, oversight committee, um, you know, uh, and many, many times the EFF and the GSA have come forward claiming uh, that there are loopholes where the Department of Justice and the FBI and the intelligence community as well have the ability to uh, conduct illegal surveillance on private citizens and or canvas for possible investigations or go fishing uh, without any real merit uh, freely. And this is because of an executive order that was issued during the Obama period during that regime that allowed and gave more powers to the FBI, the FBI, the federal cops, these are cops, to uh, sit there and be able to do more in their position and have access to intelligence in their position, which is something unprecedented, something very new and um, too much crossover. So shifting a few gears. I wanted to just talk about one portion of testimony um, about the tarmac meeting with Lynch. And the reason I draw your attention to this is because um, it's going to get interesting here. So I'm going to read off uh, the transcript portion here. So Gowdy asked, the conversation with Attorney General Lynch may have predated you in February. Is that correct? And this is just after they started talking about the tarmac. Well, let me read that. All right. So we know when the press conference was held and we had at least some idea of the emails as to when there was a discussion of what to be said. We will litigate that later on, though. We'll have more conversations. But that's not where I'm headed with this. The tarmac was in late June. McCabe says yes. The conversation with Lynch 
may have predated you in February. Yes. Okay, you're getting this? June Tarmac, McCabe, February. Were there other reasons whether you can discuss them in this environment or not that led Comey to make the decision to appropriate the charging decision away from the DOJ? Now, McCabe said, first, as I mentioned to you earlier, I don't know that I agree with your use of term appropriate the decision. We can. He's like, okay, your objection is notice, whatever. Because here's the thing. Comey stated that he had given uh, the he had like passed the buck to the Department of Justice to prosecute. Because he couldn't find a reasonable prosecutor, even though they're the cops, right? They're the ones that do it. He did it. McCabe's like, well, I don't know if you're going to say that he kicked the bucket over to the DOJ or not. I'm just trying to parse this through so you get where this is going. Now, um, McCabe said, I know that there were a number of factors that Director Comey was considering as he thought about the decision, some of which we discussed the other evening that I cannot discuss with you here in this setting. Others we've talked about a little bit. The different relationship that we had with leadership at the Justice Department, or should I say the different way, the way they were not traditionally involved in the oversight and decision-making on this case, presented a challenge to us and an acknowledgement on some level of the fact that they were, you know, the political nature of their positions raised the question about their ability to make decisions on the case. And so that was a strange ground for us to be in. There was an exchange between the director and the attorney general. So there was an exchange between Comey and Lynch on not referring it publicly to an investigation. That's something that Comey factored into this consideration as well. There was somewhat infamous exchange between Lynch and former President Clinton on the tarmac in Phoenix. So there were a number of things that caused him to doubt the ability or credibility of the Justice Department in presenting the results of the investigation. So basically what McCabe is saying, well, Comey and I kind of felt that they were politically motivated, so it was a little bit awkward. And then when the tarmac meeting happened, you know, Comey was like, I don't know if the DOJ can really um, make an impartial decision. This is huge. When you're FBI agent that looks to you to execute the justice, you're the Justice Department, you're the Attorney General, and says, so Dirty Comey says, I don't think that they'd be honest. Means that there was severe, the health, uh, you know, snapshot of the Department of Justice was not good. When your corrupt FBI guy who helped lie to the FISA court, who helped formulate this dossier, felt that he couldn't do his job, let's pretend that Comey really wanted to do his job on Clinton because the Department of Justice was dirty. That's that's huge. That's him saying, I think my AG wasn't doing her job right, and uh, there were issues here. Now, Gowdy says, uh, has there ever been any contemporaneous collection of that conversation on the tarmac? 
And he's like a contemporaneous collection. Yeah, was there ever a transcript, an audio, anything other than the witnesses' memories that you have ever had access to or heard about that captured the essence of the tarmac conversation? Okay. So unfortunately, my personal Twitter account was banned. But ages ago when this happened, I actually had sent out a tweet that had indeed a link and I can't find it obviously maybe that's why I got banned too wow I just thought about that because you know I always thought it was because I was dropping those FBI documents wow look at that on air lucid thought right there because I dropped that and, you know, on June of 2018, I was, I, I, my, my personal account was banned for a tweet from four months ago. Anyway, so weird. So we asked him basically, is there any video or audio of this conversation on the tarmac? McCabe said, no, not to my knowledge. And Gowdy said, so the folk, folklore on the internet that there is a transcript, there's an audio recording of that, you're not familiar with it? He's like, absolutely not. Would you be familiar with it, he said? McCabe said, I, um, if there were a recording made under FBI authorities, pay attention to the words, it is possible, possibly, even likely, that I would be aware of it. But I can't sit here and speculate as to how a recording might have been made. I mean, I'm not aware of a recording having been made, so I really can't speculate beyond that. So Gowdy's like, well, part of what we have to do is debunkments too. And he's like, yes, sir. That's why I'm asking you. Would you be in a unique position maybe to know? And Meadows asked, is the AG's plane vehicle monitored to your knowledge? McCabe said, not to my knowledge, sir. Did you get that? Is the AG plane's vehicle monitored to your knowledge? Because they sat down in that plane and they sat down in front of technical equipment. How many of you put tape on the front of your camera of your phones so nobody looks at you in the bathroom? Those of you that know how monitoring happens. And on that note, sit on it. I'll see you all shortly right after this break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 
That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So apparently, um, there's been some naughty, naughty behavior on the airwaves uh, or my streaming out to the airwaves that I was knocked off air for a while. I guess it's because I was pointing out how McCabe himself demonstrated through his testimony uh, to the committee how Comey, corrupt Comey made statements to McCabe that they were not confident that the Department of Justice could be independent in regards to the mid-year exam. And remember, the mid-year exam was the way uh, the investigation into Hillary Clinton's private email server and missing emails was dubbed, okay? That was what the investigation was called, mid-year exam. So they, the corrupt FBI, the same FBI that doctored a dossier that threw spies to entrap people to cover for the DNC exchange hack, as they say, when we all know his name was Seth Rich, that FBI made it clear that they felt that the Department of Justice could not be impartial. And also I was reading the transcript where they were talking about the tarmac meeting. And I'm going to reinforce this because my personal Twitter account was banned from Twitter in June of 2018, maybe for various factors, an account that I had for almost 10 years. I assumed that it was the FBI documentation that I was dropping that was totally legally sourced. Um, 
And I assumed it was other factors, but it could have been a collective of many, you know, agencies and persons of interest responding. But one of them was a link to this notion. And let me pose the questions. Does, does, said Gowdy to McCabe, is there or has there ever been a contemporaneous collection of that conversation on the tarmac? A contemporaneous collection? Says McCabe. Yeah, was there ever a transcript, an audio, anything other than the witnesses, and the witnesses in this case is Lynch and Clinton, memories that you have ever had access to or heard about that captured the essence of the tarmac conversation? No, sir, not to my knowledge. First of all, calling him out. So yes, indeed, he may have not seen a transcript, may have not seen audio or video, but I'm pretty sure he heard it existed. So a little bit of a perjury thing there. So Gowdy says, so the folklore on the internet is that there's a transcript, that there's an audio recording of that. You're not familiar with it? McCabe, absolutely not. Gowdy asks him, would you be familiar with it? McCabe says, well, if there were a recording made under FBI authorities, very specific here, it is possible, possibly even likely, that I would be aware of it. But I can't sit here and speculate as to how a recording might have been made. Are you listening? FBI didn't tap into computers and phones located on the attorney general's plane vehicle, right? He made that clear, but he can't pretend to sit there and assume who might have. He said, like, so I can't really speculate beyond that. So Gowdy says, well, part of what we do is debunk myths too, you know. He's like, yes, sir. That's why I'm asking you, you would be in a unique position to know, right? Meadows jumps in. Is the AG's is the AG's plane vehicle monitored to your knowledge? McCabe says, not to my knowledge, no, sir. That ended that. This is huge. This is huge because what they don't realize is that the weapons that they used against us, the people, the weapons that they used against the Trump campaign and administration are the same weapons that can be used for them. If you and I are monitored 24-7, Do you believe that every single one of these clowns weren't monitored 24-7? You've heard me say it before. There's something called the 72-hour capture. Yes or no? Mm -hmm. So was the meeting on the tarmac reported, let's just say, within those 72 hours? Yes or no? And do you know that on federal vehicles... Like, you know, the FBI director's plane, like the attorney general's plane, like Air Force One, Air Force Two, whatever federal plane. Do you know that for reasons of counterterrorism and to understand what happens before and after an incident, there's constant monitoring? 
<laughs> yeah. See, but that monitoring is dumped after 72 hours if nothing's occurred or if nothing was stimulated to be captured, meaning nothing happened within those 72 hours of them capturing video or audio that mandated to be withheld, you know, into the database and, and looked into. But let's see. If Loretta Lynch and Clinton had this meeting and this reporter just came out and said, oh my gosh, this just happened. And that's a violation, right, of law. Uh, considering that there's an ongoing investigation and something going on. Do you think the FBI would be the one to contact the NSA would you think the DIA would, uh, CIA? I mean, look at the clowns that were in charge then. But see, that's the thing. Rank and file, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, it's not their fault. They were doing... How much you want to make a bet that maybe there was someone, you know, some average Joe like you or I that works for the NSA that has some, you know, preliminary FISA might be important category that they slot in communications when they're flagged. So, you know, instantly it's all over the news. Lynch met with Clinton. They're probably talking about the investigation on Hillary and someone's like, flag that, get the video, get that, get all the CCTV camera footage we've got, get any audio you got from the plane because we might need it later. And you know what sucks is that at that period of time, as they were like removing information from the 72 hour upstream, right? At that period of time, wasn't it the same period of time that Carlin and the Obama administration for years were telling, uh, you know, Collier, I don't know what's going on. It's gotta be an algorithm or human error that we're constantly surveilling private citizens of the U S we're really trying to fix it. (laughs) So what tells you? That there wasn't someone that accidentally dropped that into that bucket of, oops, we accidentally kept that information. Are you getting my drift? Because, you know, that was the whole issue with the FISA court with Collier, not talking about the FISA warrant applications, we're talking separate. They were already being scolded for spying on private citizens for years. And they were mitigating that situation. And if someone actually reads the deposits of the 7702 certs that Carlin did in 2016, if someone actually reads the memorandum of opinion and the, and the order that was provided in September of 2016 by Collier, their explanation was that there was a problem with the algorithm and it was uh, randomly, but they just so happened to be in the orbit of President Trump, capturing upstream data upstream data is every single bit of video audio email text emoji whatever that is put into the internet and uploaded or communicated back and forth right that's in in the in the um in the ether as they say so what makes you think that when those news went out, someone didn't flag it and dump it somewhere and say, we got all this CCTV footage. We got all this audio. We got all this video. You think they didn't? You think that there's no CCTV cameras on the attorney general's plane? Of course there is. What if someone gets on the plane and causes harm to the attorney general? You think there's no security? You think that microphones aren't on all the time? 
Do you think that the computer that has a camera on it for them to Skype or, you know, video conference from the plane isn't on? You think they have access to all this intelligence and there's no monitoring of that. There's no monitoring to see, hey, when the AG steps off the plane is like that pilot that just came on going to sit down in her chair and just freaking access intelligence. Of course it is. Are you getting it? So the FBI doesn't do it, but the NSA does. Because there's no real such agency as such as that. It's made up a lot of components. And think, if they accidentally captured information that just so happened to circle around President Trump, maybe they accidentally captured information or some good patriot captured information and added it to that dump. When that was flagged on the news, you see where I'm going with this. Because McCabe was very careful how he answered. If there were a recording made under FBI authorities, it is possible, possibly even likely, that I would be aware of it. FBI authorities is the key, key, key word here. That if it was, then he would possibly be. Because it could be that someone in the FBI flagged it, and I didn't know, but then I would know because I was in charge of all this corrupt stuff. So there. So I'm pointing this out as something super uber important. And something that will be coming to light very, very soon. Now, um, I wanted to shift gears. And I wanted to play a tiny little clip. How Collins responds to the Don McGann no-show hearing circus. Nadler really likes to do these things. So-and-so didn't come. We're going to hold him in contempt. How dare Barr not come? I said so. How dare McGann not come? Take a listen to what was said because of this. Again, the theater is open and the... Summations are coming in. In fact, right now we're again running over the norms of congressional oversight. We're dabbing at the edges of rubbing roughshod on the Constitution, asking for uh, things that we don't. But I am glad about one thing. I'm glad that the chairman read into the record today the Mueller report. I'm glad that he quoted, as he said, this is a quote directly from the Mueller report. I just wish my chairman would actually go read the rest of it that he has uh, been offered to read, which he has chose not to read. Um, But he did leave out one thing. He left out something in the Mueller report from just now. He read McGahn's testimony beautifully, did everything, but he left out what he doesn't want to have to come back to and the frustrating thing that has brought us here again and again and again, and that is the conclusions. There was no collusion. There was no obstruction charge. There's nothing here. After two years of doing this, we can read it in. You can talk about how you don't like it. You can talk about what you would like to ask, but at the end of the day, it's interesting. We'll read in the quotes that make the headlines, but we're also not going to read in the bottom line of what was actually concluded. So the Democrats are here trying again. The Mueller report concluded there was no collusion, no obstruction, because the report failed to provide damning information against the president. The majority claims we need to dig deeper, deeper than the two years of investigation conducted by what is considered a prosecutorial dream team, because that probe ended without criminal charges against the president or his family. The special counsel closed up shop without giving Democrats anything to (laughs) deliver to their base. Now the Democrats are trying desperately to make something out of nothing, which is why the chairman has, again, haphazardly subpoenaed today's witnesses. That move, though, is actually ensured the witness will not testify. You know, this is becoming a pattern. 
The chairman knew this, I believe, when he sent the subpoena last month, but instead of inviting the witness to testify voluntarily and working with McGann's counsel to find mutual agreeable time and scope for the testimony, the chairman rushed to maximize headlines by issuing a subpoena. That subpoena was the third in just four months, more subpoenas than the prior chairman issued in six years. The chairman has several ways out here. He took none of them. The chairman could have invited the witness to testify voluntarily. That was the practice in the 1990s when the White House counsel testified before Congress, but the chairman did not do that. Instead, he launched a subpoena at the witness without any consultation or follow-up with the witness's lawyer. The chairman could have invited the witness to testify behind closed doors, but that would have been politically expedient, and you wouldn't have been here, and the show would not have been as exciting. A closed-door conversation would not have generated those headlines, and everything that we're looking at today, even gaveling in today's hearing without a witness, is theatrical. The cameras love a spectacle, and the majority loves the chance to rant against the administration. I just am glad today to see that we don't have chicken on the dice. The chairman orchestrated today's confrontation when he could have avoided it because he's more interested in the fight than fact-finding. Take the Mueller report, which we've already heard quoted from. More than 99% of the Justice Department has offered to the chairman. For an entire month, the chairman has refused to take a look at it. The attorney general who volunteered, volunteered to testify before the committee, the chairman changed the rules for the first time in the committee's 200-year history, thus blocking General Barr from testifying. I cannot emphasize this enough. The track record demonstrates he does not actually want information. He wants the fight, but not the truth. Okay, so that's the point. So what they're doing now, Nadler, for example, they're not about the information. Like he said, he had access to the to a very you know, loosely redacted document that he could have seen in the skiff, but he didn't want that. He wanted the pony show. He wanted his attorneys to be able to look at it and they wanted to have the ability to share it with the media. So now all these subpoenas, this grandstanding, this, you know, greatest show on earth type attempt is not for the truth. That's, it's far beyond that. They don't want the truth. They forced the president to use his executive to say, nope, not going. Why? Because all they want is sound bites. They want the media to continue to have sound bites where one of them will say something that they think sounds smart. Kind of like you remember how Kamala Harris said that the, that ice was similar to the KKK. You remember that sound bites. Things that they can use, like, whoop, got you. And it's like, no, you didn't. But it's okay. We're only going to hear the question. And then we're going to slot in an answer that has nothing to do with the question. Or it's just going to show a face of like, why did you just say that? So this is all they want. They want to show. Because they know that the majority of their following, the insane Antifas, the people that foam at the mouth the minute they see an American flag, the people that, you know, the Birkenstock, crunchy, granola munching, I love cricket meal better than, you know, regular flour type people don't really read the news. They don't even look at the transcripts. I mean, look at CNN, MSNBC, CBS, look at all of these clowns that have access to the transcripts. How many of them have actually demonstrated in true light what's really going on here? I mean, they found damning information that Elijah Cummings' wife was getting money from people that Elijah Cummings oversees, but they're like, yeah, but, you know, he's really vocal against them. $5.2 million. You got to pretend you're not taking it, right? 
This is what they want. They want a pony show because that's how stupid they think the American voter is. And more so, that's how they've been able to control narratives, control this cycle of the same people being reelected. They control the media, they control the information you get, and the way it is spun for you. The more they tell you a story, the more you will believe it. You know, for my Game of Thrones fans, you know, Khaleesi, you know, the queen, the dragon queen, right? She said she wanted to break the wheel. And, you know, I thought about it for a second, and I thought, well, we did that in the 2016 election, didn't we? No more dynasties, no more bloodlines, no more I'm tapping you on the shoulder, no more. You can't do that job because you haven't worked in D.C. much, so you're not seasoned. You know, the stuff they were saying about Whitaker, as if being in the Department of Justice, the Justice Department, where you're a lawyer and the law doesn't need salt and pepper, it's black and white, you need to be seasoned. Are you understanding? This is all a pony show. And you know what was funny? I saw that the president yesterday, and I've been obviously distracted with my kid leaving, her birthday, my sister's wedding. It was just a hot mess this past week for me, but, and then work too. My deadline was yesterday. So just imagine how many areas I've been going to, being pulled. I needed clones. (laughs) I needed clones last week. But think about it. The president even went out, hey, you know, if they like play their cards right and they go for facts and whatever, maybe Nadler can be president playing up to their ambitions. You saw that tweet. I was like, there you go. That's the way you put salt on a wound. This isn't how you win. This isn't how people like you. People like you, Nadler, when you're honest, people like you, when you want transparency, you can't sit there and say, I want to see it. I better see it. I have to see it because we need to know the truth. And then when they give it to you, you don't look at it. That's the thing. Now take a listen to other really fine points he makes this morning. The closer he actually comes to obtaining information, the further we run from it. The Democrats claim the need today's witness to investigate obstruction of justice, but that investigation was already done. Robert Mueller spent two years running it and then closed it. We are not a prosecutorial body, but a legislative body that does have valid congressional oversight. But let's talk about that Mueller report for just a second. It's really interesting to me that the Mueller report was actually, within 24 hours of coming out, the chairman and the majority subpoenaed for all the documents. In fact, we have a legal subpoena that asks the the attorney general to provide documents he cannot legally provide. That's been covered in this committee for the last two weeks exhaustively, and even the panel that was with us last week agreed that the subpoena asked the attorney general to do something illegal by exposing 6E information. That was his own witnesses said that last week. But you know what's interesting to me is that we've subpoenaed the documents, we've subpoenaed that we won't underline documents, we've subpoenaed stuff that we can't get, but you know the one thing that we seem to avoid is Mr. Mueller himself, the one who wrote it. We've asked since April about Mr. Mueller coming. But every time we seem to get close to Mueller, Mueller just gets pushed on a little bit. Hadn't seen a subpoena here. And this is what's really amazing. We'll get back to subpoenas in a moment. But just think about that. You wanted the work of the author, but you don't want to talk to the author. Keep that pinned. Do you see that? So they're writing subpoenas for everyone else, but we've been saying, bring in Mueller, let him talk. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to bring in Mueller and we're going to put him on the spotlight. All right, do it. Yeah, so um, about that. We need other people first. No, we need the author, like he said. You're going to go to the source, man. What are you dilly-dallying around? You're going to go to the source. Ask the source to come and testify. Yeah, we're going to do that. You watch us. Nadler was like, we're going to bring him. Where is he? Where's your subpoenas there? Why are you throwing subpoenas everywhere else? For just a moment. When we look at this, 99% of the information is at the Democrats' fingertips. And it's the Mueller report Attorney General offered to Speaker Pelosi, Chairman Allen, and others have seen it, but they refuse. So don't be fooled. Majority wants the fight. They want the drama. He does not actually want the information he claims to be seeking. After the administration made volumes of information available to this committee, the chairman issued overbroad subpoenas and now harangues the administration for being unable to comply with those subpoenas. In fact, it's the Democrats who are engaging, not engaging in the accommodation process, abruptly cutting off negotiations and rejecting olive branches by the administration. This is where I want to come back to something my chairman just said a moment ago. His quote was in his opening statements that our subpoenas are not optional. Well, we found out a lot about subpoenas over the last month or so in this committee. I found out that subpoenas maybe now are not optional. Let's add to the list. Subpoenas are also a discussion starter. A subpoena is to give us better standing in court. Not my quotes, the chairman's quotes. So what is it? Is a subpoena the legal document that we've talked about all along in here and the forceful document that all attorneys in this country actually use? Or is it a discussion starter? Is it to help our standing in court? Or is it we don't want it ignored? At this time, it is amazing to me that the accommodation process, and we talk about the committee, and the chairman forcefully talked about our oversight. I agree with the chairman on this point. This committee and all committees in Congress have oversight responsibilities, but it is also the sacred responsibility of the chairman and the majority to use it properly and to not headlong rush into subpoenas when you don't get to what you want. That's always seen in five months here. When we don't get what we want, we subpoena. The first one was the acting attorney general. We subpoenaed, and then we backed off. We caved. Then everything else has become a race to get a headline. The accommodation process, not happening. The accommodation process, never here. So don't be fooled. You may have come warning. You may have an opinion that says everything is wrong today with the Mueller report, and the president is guilty. But don't undercut congressional oversight because you can't wait. Here's the thing. What he's making, he's making a really valid point, guys. And I wanted to leave us on this note for this hour. They're using subpoenas faster than they are courtesy. Every single lawyer knows that a subpoena is the last bullet you pull in your chamber, right? It's got to be the last bullet in your chamber. You've got to go the other way around. You can't abuse a subpoena. So you can't send someone voluntarily answer these questions or voluntarily talk to me, but at the same time issue a subpoena. Uh, that's kind of an abuse of power. That's kind of an abuse of subpoenas. You know, we see it all the time when corrupt, uh, you know, prosecutors, we've seen it in, in uh, prosecutorial misconduct, that they're asking people questions to voluntarily respond because they have every right to say no, but at the same time, they go ahead and fire these subpoenas. This is a complete abuse of authority and making the, this oversight committee look like a joke. And they can thank the ringleader, Nadler. I'll see you all in just a bit after this short break.
town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in D.C., but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper, they grab a shovel, dig the... They talk radio. You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So, in this second uh, half, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about Brexit, a little bit about Iran. I wanted to touch upon Mexico, but not talk about it because tomorrow we're going to have the amazing uh, Cindy uh, with us. Cindy Gomez Shemp uh, is. Uh, you know, the authority for me on this matter, on anything that happens in Mexico at the border, what's going on. And this is um, a pretty pretty important topic that a lot of people aren't talking about. Uh, The president uh, just uh, about 50 minutes ago tweeted, I'm very disappointed that Mexico is doing virtually nothing to stop illegal immigrants from coming to our southern border where everyone knows that because of Democrats, our immigration laws are totally flawed and broken. And Mexico's attitude is that the people from other countries, including Mexico, should have the right to flow into the U.S. And that the U.S. taxpayers should be responsible for the tremendous costs associated with this illegal immigration. Mexico is wrong, and I will soon be giving a response. Do you guys remember... Uh, it was just uh, a couple, uh, it was last week where I wrote up an article from the press release from Broward County, Broward County themselves and the mayor put out a statement saying we should not be burdened with the cost of illegal immigration. You will kill our social system. You will take all the resources we have for our citizens. This will become a homeless camp. What are you doing? This is not happening, President Trump. You are not bussing in illegal immigrants from Mexico to Broward County. And I was like, why are your panties in a twist? Debbie Wasserman Schultz wants open borders. She wants migrants to come in. So what, we're just going to trash the border cities, trash the states that line up with the border? No, take a feel for it because you vote for it. You protest, right? So they walked it back, saying it was atrocious. How could he do this, bringing them here, bringing them there? Listen, the bottom line is is that these people aren't crossing the border by themselves. They're being coached, they're being married, they're being told, and Mexico is facilitating it. What are they doing? They issued uh, the, the immigrants that come into their countries, uh, to their country from other countries, either that by overstay visas or crossing the southern border, they issue them immigration identifications. Yet the information on those immigration identifications may not be in fact true. They can be fabricated because now it's coming to light that the immigration satellite offices were 
where they issue these identifications saying XYZ is from Guatemala and this is his name, you know, don't pan up. I mean, you know, they're saying E-verified. Nobody, come on, man. You think a Guatemalan farm or Guatemala itself is on E-verify? Come on, let's be real. This is a big problem. So tomorrow we're going to tackle that with Cindy. I love her. Her work is extraordinary. I can't wait. So uh, it, I'll talk about Ran way later because Pompeo just sent a tweet just a couple minutes ago talking about it, saying that he's headed to the Hill right now to discuss with the legislators, you know, about the 40 years of unprovoked aggression uh, from the Iranian regime and to explain the prudent steps we're taking to deter the violence, um, protect American interests and support the brave Iranian people. We'll talk about that later along with Brexit. We'll talk about it in the last half hour. Uh, what I wanted us to do is um, kind of talk about this corrupt notion of actions, uh, corrupt actions from the previous regime, the Obama regime um, persons. We've seen it from Comey, Lynn, Strzok, all of them. So corrupt, disgusting. But we're also seeing now the lawmakers that we have how they're overextending themselves and attempting to break the law. Not only that, the judges. Remember, I have been very scrutinous in regards to the FISA court judges, not just Collier, but all the other ones that you know signed the re-up and the renewal of these FISA warrants. Um, but judges that are on the bench right now trying these cases, like how dare he say treason? Why is he still on the bench? So this is a big deal. When your judges are corrupt and they cannot see justice correctly, that's a big problem. I mean, this this stems from your municipalities, uh, cities, state judges, all of them. They should be canned. There should be an examination. There should be an oversight committee that decides if they were politically influenced to make these statements or decisions. I mean, how many people are now in court that may have come up against someone that was a state legislator, just put it that way. You know, there's a case like that out in Colorado. This one guy is fighting this Democrat state legislator for some corrupt antic. And suddenly, this man finds himself entangled in like frivolous, crazy, out there, manufactured civil suits. And the guy's like, well, they don't have anything, so they can't do anything. And the judge is like, yeah, well, I don't know. And it's like, but the law says if you don't have a claim, you can't file it in court. Like, it's like saying, I'm going to sue you and I'm taking it to civil court because I think you're bad. So, hey. Joe, I'm filing a civil suit against you because you're bad because I think so and and yes. So I go to court and I file all this stuff that most of it is just, you know, pulling things out of context and putting them together or completely manufactured. Or, hey, you know, this person on on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or YouTube or some vote forum or whatever – said this about you so it's got to be true so you put so i put all of that in the case and i take it to the judge and the judge looks at it he's like all right and then you joe say well uh, what does tory want yeah pay a fine and just in case what so you don't like me and you want me to pay a fine 
just in case. Uh, I mean, who got harmed? Why are you asking for this? This is like legit stuff, guys. You think it's crazy? <laughs> I've been through it. Still probably going through it. Just so you know, this is like real stuff. Because when they want to silence you, they will try to discredit you. And when the discrediting doesn't work, they will come at you with full guns blazing. And you will sit there and you'll be like, it's, it's like that guy. I'm going to pull back because I can't talk about that. Darn it. Um, that hasn't been <laughs> released to the public. So I'm going to, mm, I have to find another simile. Gosh. Um, it's like my friend, Mike, let's pretend, you know, he's walking down the street. He sees something that his, uh, Senator did and that was illegal. And so he files a complaint, files it with the FBI, the local FBI office, of course, uh, but obviously concurrently, thank goodness, files it with, um, you know, a more federal one. And suddenly this guy is like driving around in his car and the police keep stopping him. He's like, why are you stopping me? Oh, yeah, we thought your light was there. Okay, you're good to go. Ten minutes later, it's like, ticket, you didn't turn right here correctly. Why are you doing this? So this guy's constantly getting stopped. And he's constantly going to fight tickets. And they're like, yeah, sorry, our bad. So he's got to take time off work to go. And the judge is like, but the dash camera says, yeah, that was our bad. I don't know what we were thinking. Well, then why did you give the ticket? Yeah, I don't know. And so this guy is constantly being harassed like that. And then suddenly he gets a lawsuit from some guy he doesn't know that says, you owe me money. And he's like, well, how do I owe you money? And so, you know, they go to civil court because he's suing them for it. And he's like, okay, I'm not understanding what's going on here. Please help me out. Yeah, so this and this. And can you confirm the information? Is that correct? Well, no, I can't. So we're in court right now. I hired a lawyer, paid $2,000. And now you realize that I'm not the same, you know, Mike Smith. Yeah, sorry about that. Do you see what I'm saying? This is how they do it until they entrap you to a point, until they get angry enough, until you get too far enough where they're like, well, he might do something bad, so we need a judgment. What? See, that's the thing. What I was talking about yesterday, that young boy from Canada, the hacker for hire, as you could say, that was sending out phishing emails. He then sold some of that to some guy that, you know, was happened to be Russian, okay? Because it's not like you examine someone that orders, puts out a APB, I guess, out on the internet and says, I need these email accounts hacked. Send out phishing emails. I'd like so many and I'll pay you so much. So this young boy sends over a couple of emails that, you know, information from phishing emails he sent. And this guy happens to be Russian, which happens to be linked to Putin because he served in the military at some point. So this young boy goes to court. Now they've, in fact, because of the way it was put, yeah, you know, he got $104 from a Russian military linked guy. And so now he's like a Russian agent (laughs) and he's not because The only connection that other guy had with the Russian military was the fact that he did his mandatory service. But on paper, this boy looks like he's a Russian agent that works for FSB or Putin directly. This is how they orchestrated it. So they take him to court. They get a court to approve this. They they find him, you know, as a criminal and give him five years in prison. 
I don't think he has to execute all five years. I think it's like time served and then like whatever. Because it was like $104 and it was like stupid phishing emails. But here's the deal. When this boy pops around for something huge, like CrowdStrike. Hey, CrowdStrike, you said that the, the hack happened from Russia. But the code seems to be put together with the Chinese platform and then someone altered the tail end, you know, the fingerprint, thumbprint, the end print, picture it like a tail. So the tip of the tail of the code looks Russian and you said it was Russian. Who, who made that code for you? Well, I don't know. The people that were forensically checking it was this person, this person. This person. Oh, gosh, look at that. One of the people that they sent to analyze the code and give a report, analyze or fix the code, was that boy that's linked to the Russians already. Gosh. So the courts have already established that this guy's guilty working with the Russian government when he really wasn't. And now he's the scapegoat for CrowdStrike. Right? Because they've already tainted him in court for something that, that, that wasn't really anything. Okay, yeah, he fished. Yeah, he broke the law fishing. I mean, it's not really. Why are you so stupid enough to click on it? I'm just saying. Like, it's like saying Tide is responsible for you eating Tide Pods. No. they cl- The box is closed. You know it's for laundry. You eat it. That's your problem. You know, people suing them to not make it enticing. Same thing here. If they're sending you a link, click on this. You must do this. You're stupid enough to click on it. I don't know why the person who stole your... Well, you shouldn't have stolen it. I'm just saying. It was your fault. Okay? Let's just... Come on. Where's the responsibility, man? Where's the responsibility? So anyway, so this is what they do. They taint you. They label you so that way it can be used in the future as a weapon. Either for a defense weapon for them when they're under fire or for a further reinforcement weapon if they want to go attack the same person or persons or government or whatever. So I wanted you guys to understand that. Now, <clears throat> why am I talking about crazy judges and bad judges? Well, there was a judge that issued a subpoena saying that they need to provide the tax returns of President Trump from before he was president. Um, that's illegal. I've actually been asked by, um, someone to give them my tax records and it's like, dude, uh, why you don't need that? Go take a walk. (laughs) You can't have that (laughs) unless it's IRS or you're looking into something uh, fiscal. You need to take a walk. See ya. That's the way it goes. You can't have that. That is no, you can't. And yet a judge did so. Take a listen. Judge rules an accounting firm is required to turn over President Trump's records from before he was president. The accounting firm now has seven days to comply with the subpoena, but the president's team is expected to appeal the ruling. One American News caught up with Congressman Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows for their take on the situation. We're uh, concerned about the motive behind uh, the request, and uh, you know if it's if it's really uh, proper oversight, then certainly uh, transparency is a good thing. Uh, candidly, the documents they've asked for are documents that are prior to this president being elected. Uh, I find there's no 
uh, oversight nexus that's associated with it. And so I'm troubled there. You know, we'll see whether the, the president appeals it or whether they just go ahead and turn over the documents. But uh, uh, I think the vast majority of Americans believe that uh, they answered the question about tax returns in the president's financials on November of 2016. And, uh, and to go back uh, for 10 years, uh, it was more of a fishing expedition than an oversight. Again, I think the real story here is why can't the American people see the memorandum of understanding that Democrat chairmen have entered into? You got Mr. Uh, Mr. Cummings and Ms. Waters, uh, two committee chairmen, entering into this agreement, not talking to any people on the committee. I don't even know if they talked to Democrats. They certainly didn't talk to me, certainly didn't talk to Republicans on the committee. Um, this coordinated effort to go after the president, and now you have a judge saying that, yeah, the Democrats can get this information, and the information they're asking for is based on the testimony of Michael Cohen, who, when he came in front of us two months ago, lied seven times and currently sits in prison because he lied to Congress. So that's how you're basing the whole eight years of business records of the president prior to him even being a candidate for office, memorandums of understanding to coordinate their attack. I think, I think again, that's the real story, and I hope the Democrats will make the, uh, the MOUs public. Want to see more videos like this? That's from OAN. I love OAN. So you know what's what's funny is that exactly what they said is what I've said. Like, how do they do this? It's a fishing expedition. This is what corrupt people do. When they don't have anything on you, when they don't have any evidence of anything, but they just want to find evidence, they'll go on fishing expeditions. <laughs> but being a victim of this, totally not fun, guys. Because they give your life a thorough colonoscopy. And this is exactly what they're doing to President Trump. And this is the weapon that they all have. I mean, we saw McCain weaponize the IRS. This isn't some flimsy, okay thing. Because if I wanted to nail you, I and I was someone of power and abuse my office, because this is what we really need to talk about, abuse of office for personal gain, um, I would then issue subpoenas, secret subpoenas, get any information I can, because there's got to be something, because I need to take you down. That is Trump derangement syndrome. That is... Corrupt clowns against patriots. Corrupt clowns against people that call them out. Corrupt clowns that expose them. That is their tactic. They give your life a thorough colonoscopy and they demand so. The judge that issued this order needs to be removed from the bench immediately. Because this is not blind justice. This is politically motivated. Justice turns out that they donated to the campaign, etc. You know there's more. It's not just the measly $2,000 that we can find on a quick Google search. There's way more. Way, way more. And the networks that they have are so close and tight-knit. All you have to do is lift the curtain. And the Wizard of Oz is right there. Corruption to the maximus. And now we have judges complying with it and, 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 and creating the environment for it to fester. That's where you gut it. You get rid of those judges. I've got a couple of judges in my region, in my district courts, that I'm looking into to get removed for doing such actions. If you are politically... How does a judge cover up? And this is just a hint. 
How does a judge cover up the rape of a child in another country? So it's not country in another state. So it's not discussed within that person's home state because their wife is running for office. Pay attention. Big deal right there. So judges are the problem here. This corrupt abuse of public office because a public servant is a public servant and it is a crime. To misuse your office, misuse confidential information, um, or misuse anything they come across to commit to an official action, either by taking someone to court, initiating an investigation, when they get some benefit from it. And you're going to say, like in my example, what would the attorney general of the state of North Dakota, Tory, who's after you like nobody's business, benefit by going after you. Yeah, because then I can't reveal the crimes that he's been doing. That's why. The criminal activities, the conspiracy, the quid pro quo, those things. That's what they do. And this is exactly what they're doing to the president. And it's not like something new, guys. This has been going on forever. This is how they garner insurance. Hey, you got to shut up or else I'm going to do this. And it's like, bring it. President Trump is saying, bring it. And he just can't believe his eyes that in the nation where we stand for freedom, that things like this happen. Guys, I've even had this clown try to ask the judge to not let me use the internet. I swear to God. Like, what are we in communist China? I'm surprised they haven't filed anything to tell a federal court judge or any district. I'm really surprised that the Ninth Circus has not received a complaint saying, let's bar the president from using Twitter. I mean, I would have expected it when he was like going back and forth with Korea and putting on that show for us. But, you know, public misuse of public office is a really big deal. It's kind of like sexual harassment. You know how women uh, complain? I've been in the position where I felt like, you know, some dude, because I was like a hot tamale, you know, hot little girl or whatever, that he would use his position if I um, if I refused him. Like, if he's like, hey, let's go get some drinks. And I, and I was always like, yeah, game. And I'd just bring a bunch of jarheads with me. It's like total total, uh, you know, BC right there. When you bring people, this is how you respond to situations you feel that are trying to use their position in office, right? When they're trying to use their influence. So when someone is in office, is in an elected office and they're using their office, they're misusing it to get some self-gratification, self-preservation. Okay. This is important. What Congress is doing, what these judges are being weaponized to do is to preserve those people that are asking them to do it. Self-preservation is still a personal benefit, ergo a crime. Okay, so it's it's clearly a, a violation of law. It's a violation of law. Misuse of public office is horrible. And this is what we're seeing. And misuse of public office as a lawmaker on our, in our Congress, in our Senate, uh, judges, prosecutors, FBI, NSA. Well, kind of. The Obama administration, that's the biggest misuse of office, isn't it, guys? He's the president of the United States at the time. And he weaponized foreign and domestic intelligence agencies. To, to formulate this coup idea. 
well, after he was elected. Before that, it was to stymie the election. He used all his influence and power he had access to to ensure that President Trump is smeared so bad that no one would vote for him. He, he activated people on social media, in the mainstream media, print, TV, radio, you name it. He activated them because he said there is no way he can be elected. Because like Hillary Clinton said, if he gets elected, we all hang. Self-preservation. As it comes more and more into this expose, this curtain being pulled. We see that the Wizard of Oz is indeed Obama, and he weaponized every single asset he could to protect himself, his interests, and those that were working with his common interests, domestically and globally. And not only that, their influence, their quasi-official status after they left, was also weaponized. This is a huge, huge problem in our society because we're not communist China. We're not Venezuela. We're not Russia like they used to be. USSR, I guess, you know, they're kind of are still here. Turkey. We're not Sharia compliance. We're free people. And we follow the law. And if the law says you can't do anything and nothing was done wrong, then you need to leave it alone. And the law says that if you do things like this, you will be punished. Misuse of public office is a big deal. But when the misuse is done by a president of the United States, like Barack Hussein Obama did, that is incredible. He not only misused his office to attack his opponents, right? Or send off his minions like McCain to attack opponents too. Or the mainstream media to smear and talk But he weaponized global assets too. Global assets to attack our country. This puts our national security in jeopardy too. You think about it. He got out of office and for the next months, all his cabinet members and himself were slamming our president, making our country look vulnerable to our enemies and thus giving aid to our enemies. Treason, misuse of office, all of it. We got to gut it out. We got to hold them responsible. We got to stop the cycle. Stop the cycle so we don't see this happen again. After the break, we'll talk about Iran, Turkey. A little bit more on that. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it? the more it didn't work. So you switch to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. 
In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855 If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. So I'm being told that my um, my connection or my stream is being intercepted or not being able to be heard. So I am currently, for those that were hearing me live, um, trying to rectify that as we speak. Because uh, every time I mention Obama or anything of that nature, uh, it seems that um, I keep getting knocked off. So the conversation that uh, we had, we were having, (laughs) I was having, uh, speaking to all of you, was one of how Obama, President Barack Hussein Obama, literally used and abused his office for personal benefit. And his personal benefit was simply to cover up for himself and his cronies. And this is how the personal benefit comes. You protect yourself. So that way you gain something from it. So I believe that I'm back online. I can't believe that this happened. And um, so for all of you that are online and listening, Uh, Every time I talk about Obama, I get intercepted. I will be uploading this whole thing, um, you know, uh, on SoundCloud. You can see it from iTunes. uh, Tune in uh, as a podcast later. So the point that I was making is that Obama 
used his office to. Now, I wanted to focus a little bit on uh, what's going on in the more global ether. So Secretary Pompeo uh, mentioned that uh, with Iran, we're having issues and that he's going to the Hill to discuss this. This is quite important because like I've said before, Iran isn't really the one pushing around and his statement makes it clear. We're, we're taking steps to deter violence and protect American interests and support the brave Iranian people, he says. Correct. The Iranians themselves aren't at fault. We shouldn't just nuke the country and get rid of them because it's not warmongering that they're doing. It's money laundering they're doing. They are the front. They're the ones paying all the mercenaries. They're the ones that for some reason are the payroll payees. You know, they pay all the terrorist organizations globally. This is a huge deal. It's not like they're sitting there, oh, yep, we have nukes and we're going to be developing nukes and we're going to have weaponry. Every country has the right to defend themselves. Israel has nukes. The United Kingdom has nukes. Russia has nukes. We have nukes. Everybody that's in a developed nation has the money and can afford it. Because when you get nukes, it's not like, you know, just because I have the money, I'm not going to buy a nuke and put it in my backyard. I have to have uh, the money to be able to maintain it, ensure that there's no spillage and that I don't, you know, get rid of my city because I accidentally set it off or, you know, cause harm to my environment or the people around me uh, who shouldn't be held responsible because I can't responsibly hold on to a nuke in my backyard. That's the thing. So it's not just about, you know, we talk about the nukes because that's the way the document was formulated. And yes, indeed, you do not want to have a nation that has all your dirty laundry and funnels all your dirty money for you to have any form of weapon that can be used against you long range. I mean, the last thing you want is to be bullying someone that has been secluded, um, you know, on a global front, you know, blackmailing them, you better, you pay this and you pay these mercenaries. And they're like, well, I don't think I want to do it anymore. And then you're bullying them. And they're like, you know what? I'm tired of you. Push the button. Boom. You go. You don't want them to have that access, right? So the nuclear Iran deal kind of makes sense for the front that they are, okay? So the problem here is not so much Iran, but Turkey. Uh, Having issues with Iran means having issues with Turkey. Turkey having issues means the EU has issues. Hence why the EU wants an EU army. Hence why the EU is trying to push Turkey up through the ranks to become a full member because then they inherit their military and their military is second strongest in NATO right after the U.S. So it's U.S., Turkey. That's how strong the powers are. This is a pretty big deal, you guys. Uh, It's not something to take light. It is a very big deal what's going on in Iran. It is a very big deal. Now, I want you guys um, to understand that there's a lot going to be coming out on Iran this week. I'm really hoping that it does showcase the tension between the EU and Turkey to us. Um, I mean, that was actually demonstrated by the Europeans themselves when they've said that they need to protect themselves from China, Russia, and the U.S., which is crazy. And how they supported Iran, saying that they've been stellar holding up to their end of the argument. Uh, they, they, No, the Iranians, Merkel said, 
held up their end of the agreement and so we must not further sanction them and it's totally fine so you can see it happening they're just not pointing it out to you uh, hopefully this is pointing it out to you now what we need to hear is um Theresa may on brexit remember brexit where they had a referendum and the people wanted to leave but they haven't left yet for some reason and she's trying to facilitate this but really isn't and they have elections in may and the european union said listen man if you don't hold elections for the eu you know while you're deciding how to brexit then we're just gonna cut you off and it's gonna be a no deal brexit and who cares just take the no deal nobody cares we don't need a deal, right? That's the thing. You never need a deal when you're severing ties. You'd be like, you know what? Forget it. Do you have a deal when you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Do you say, okay, so here's the deal. No. When you're in a divorce, what do you do? Do you talk about it? No, you talk later. Later when you break up, you divvy up your assets. So what is the problem here? They want to divvy up assets? They want them to pay a fine for leaving? No, just say no deal and we're not paying you anything. Done. You guys have changed the EU from what it was, from the idea that was born. It has evolved into a monster that nobody wants. Take a listen to what she says. I became prime minister almost three years ago, immediately after the British people voted to leave the European Union. My aim was and is to deliver Brexit and help our country move beyond the division of the referendum and into a better future a country that works for everyone, where everyone has the chance to get on in life and to go as far as their own talent and hard work can take them. That is a goal that I believe can still unite our country. I knew delivering Brexit was not going to be simple or straightforward. The result in 2016 was decisive, but it was close. The challenge of taking Brexit from the simplicity of the choice on the ballot paper to the complexity of resetting the country's relationship with 27 of its nearest neighbours was always going to be huge. While it has proved even harder than I anticipated, I continue to believe that the best way to make a success of Brexit is to negotiate a good exit deal with the EU as the basis of a new deep and special partnership for the future. That was my pitch to be leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister. That is what I set out in my Lancaster House speech. And that was what my party's election manifesto said in 2017. That is, in essence, what the Labour Party's election manifesto stated too. And over 80% of the electorate backed parties which stood to deliver Brexit by leaving with a deal. We've worked hard to deliver that but we have not yet managed it. I've tried everything I possibly can to find a way through. It's true that initially I wanted to achieve this predominantly on the back of Conservative and DUP votes. In our parliamentary system, that is simply how you normally get things done. I sought the changes MPs demanded. I offered to give up the job I love earlier than I would like. And on the 29th of March, the day we were meant to leave the EU, if just 30 MPs had voted differently, we would have passed the withdrawal agreement and we would be leaving the EU. But it was not enough. So I took the difficult decision to try to reach a cross-party deal on Brexit. Many MPs on both sides were unsettled by this, but I believe it was the right thing to do. 
We engaged in six weeks of serious talks with the opposition offering to compromise. But in the end, those talks were not enough for Labour to reach an agreement with us. But I do not think that means we should give up. The House of Commons voted to trigger Article 50, and the majority of MPs say they want to deliver the result of the referendum. So I think we need to help them find a way. And I believe there is now one last chance to do that. I've listened to concerns from across the political spectrum. I've done all I can to address them. And today I'm making a serious offer to MPs across Parliament, a new Brexit deal. As part of that deal, I will continue to make the case for the Conservative Party to be united behind a policy that can deliver Brexit. Nine out of ten Conservative MPs have already given the withdrawal agreement their backing, and I want to reach out to every single one of my colleagues to make the very best offer I can to them. We came together around an amendment from Sir Graham Brady, and this gave rise to the work on alternative arrangements to the backstop. Although it's not possible for those to replace the backstop in the withdrawal agreement, we can start the work now to ensure they are a viable alternative. So as part of the new Brexit deal, we will place the government under a legal obligation to seek to conclude alternative arrangements by December 2020 so that we can avoid any need for the backstop coming into force. I've also listened December. to concerns about... Did you guys hear that? December 2020. Keep in mind, this is the most corrupt thing I've ever seen happen. I mean, democracy has to change its mind. Are you she insane? Then it's not a democracy. It's either a democracy or it's not. This is just pure insanity. It is pure insanity. They want to establish trade rules with the rest of Europe. To just cut the cord, man. Like, what are you dragging your feet on? They have up until October 31st of this year. <laughs> so happens on Halloween. On um, this year, these nefarious clowns have up until then to come up with a deal to leave. A formulated plan of how we're going to leave and what we're going to give you. Because you know what? Um, what people don't know is that in England, they have been taken advantage of so much. I'll give you one small example so you understand how atrocious this EU partnership is. There's this village. So let's just call it Alpha Village, okay? It's just Alpha, just A. So this village has been a fishing village for five centuries. The economy of that city, that town, and everyone that works there is fishing. They fish, cod, that's it, herring, that's their fisheries, their boats, you know, everything's about fish. It's a fisherman's village, let's say. Well, EU is born. They sign contracts and everything. And suddenly, 10 years ago, they're told by their government, you need to move your boats. You're not allowed to fish here. They're like, uh, what are you talking about? My father fished here. My father's father fished here. I've, yeah, sorry. Denmark's going to be fishing herring and cod here. You're not allowed. Uh, what? This is my bread and butter. I have no other job. Yeah, well, maybe you can go to the job corps and retrain. At the age of 60, well, I don't know what to tell you. How am I going to sell my, you could sell the boat to the, to, to the Danes. <laughs> Excuse me? This is real conversations British people had with their government. Some of them were arrested for refusing to abide by it because the EU said that those waters on the shores of the United Kingdom were no longer to be fished by Brits but from the Danes because that's the deal. 
for me, for example, uh, there's a piece of land that my uh, family had and cultivated and they made, um, <clears throat> sorry, we had almond groves. And so the EU said, well, you guys can't have almond groves anymore. The deal says that you don't do almonds anymore. You're going to plant strawberries. And it's like, but we don't want to do strawberries. We've been doing almonds for, you know, nine centuries, ten centuries. Uh, not happening? Nope. EU says you do. So this is what is really, when we're talking trade, when we're talking agriculture, forget the migration, okay? That's just one factor, the open doors and everybody goes in and out. And we all share one currency and everything, you know, of the EU talk. The other one is we tell you what you're allowed to cultivate. We tell you because, but I make my own almonds. I don't have to buy them from, I don't know. Uh, Italy, I make them. Nope. Now you're going to be buying your almonds from Italy and you're going to be selling strawberries because we said so. So this is the kind of agreement that they're coming to. The fishing waters, what they're allowed to cultivate and not. How atrocious is that? Why would you have And now she's pushing it to 2020 to bring it to fruition. Let's talk about it. Take a listen to the other crazy stuff she's going to say right now. About the backstop. So the new Brexit deal goes further to address these. It will commit that should the backstop come into force, the government will ensure that Great Britain will stay aligned with Northern Ireland. We will prohibit the proposal that a future government could split Northern Ireland off from the UK's customs territory. And we will deliver on commitments to Northern Ireland in the December 2017 joint report in full. We will implement paragraph 50 of the joint report in law. The Northern Ireland Assembly and Executive will have to give their consent on a cross-community basis for new regulations which are added to the backstop. And we will work with our confidence and supply partners on how these commitments should be entrenched in law. This new Brexit deal contains significant further changes to protect the economic and constitutional integrity of the United Kingdom and deliver Brexit. It is a bespoke solution that answers the unique concerns of all parts of the community in Northern Ireland. But the reality is that after three attempts to secure parliamentary agreement, we will not leave the European Union unless we have a deal that can command cross wider cross-party support. And that is why I sat down with the opposition. I've been serious about listening to views across the House throughout this process. Okay, so did you hear that? It's going to be fair for the citizens of the United Kingdom and fair for the citizens of the EU. We don't care about them, right? Supposedly, you're not supposed to care about them. I'm out of this relationship. I don't care about you anymore. I don't care what you're doing. It's all about my citizens first, not yours. It's my citizens, not yours. So then why is the United Kingdom saying we will not have a Brexit until we come up to a deal? And I think I was kicked off, but I want you guys to listen. I gave an example about the fishermen. I want you guys to listen to the short clip of how excited they are that they're getting out on Brexit. Take a listen. Britain's House of Commons began debate today on the formal process of leaving the European Union. And there are few stronger supporters of the move than the UK's fishermen, who say that EU control of what they can catch and where is bad for the trade. Hind Hassan traveled to the south coast of England to find out what the industry is expecting now that Brexit is moving forward. 
This is from 2017. Andy's been fishing these waters for more than 20 years. In that time, he's seen the number of fishermen like him decrease dramatically. He says the common fisheries policy, the rules and regulations governing fishing in the EU since the early 80s, has made it difficult to maintain their livelihood. The work is tough. This is their eighth day in a row fishing, around nine miles out into this part of the Atlantic. After four hours, the nets are reeled in so that they can sort through their catch. So which fish are you going to have to throw back into any, the sea? Any haddock there today will be have to be Can you show me which one's the haddock? Well, this is, this, one. this is a haddock here, yeah. Right. And tell me why you have to throw that back in. Because um, we've got 300 kilo per month quota on this type of fish, and we caught that the first day of the month, so... So you can't keep it? No, it would be illegal to keep it, yeah. Even though it's dead? Even though it's dead, it's going back over the side. What do you think of that? Well, it's just ludicrous, really, isn't it? Fishing in the European Union is really complicated because there are so many regulations. Fishermen can't just sail anywhere and catch whatever they want. Each member state has a specific quota for each species, and that quota changes in different parts of EU waters. Some countries can also sail further into foreign territory than others. For example, here in the English Channel, French boats can catch almost seven times more haddock and nine times more cod than English ones. British fishermen say that the rules need to change because the policy is largely based on fishing data from the 1970s. But supporters of the system argue that the quota has maintained and in some cases increased fish stocks. Roger owns this trawler. He says they welcome conservation efforts, but they also want a fair share. Are you guys paying attention? And this is really important for us to understand. Because we have so many people talking about these trade agreements and how President Trump is destroying everything because he's annihilating them because, because they have regulations like this. So this, um, this is actually a video that was published on February 14, 2017 by Vice News. It was after the referendum and how excited they were. But if you would see, this guy had a catch. He had skate in Headington, right? And he was literally forced by law to throw over dead fish, fish that could have been used for food for people or for him to make some extra coin in his pocket because he's not allowed to. And as you heard, the French are allowed to come into the British territory and fish way more than the English are allowed to. This is what regulations do. It's unfair. It's completely unfair. If you're a good fisherman, you catch a lot of fish, you get to make more money. If you suck at fishing and you only go out once a week and you don't catch much and you have bad nets or you want to get fancy nets and they don't work as well as old school, then too bad. You're just not going to be making enough money. But this is how the European Union seems to favor other countries more than others. And it's a trade-off. These are very dangerous agreements. This is why the first thing the president did was sort out the USMCA to kill regulations like this. Because when he says trade is an issue, a lot of people say, yeah, it's totally unfair and one-sided. They, they talk talking points, but they don't know the details. The fisheries uh, regulations is just one aspect. I was demonstrating to you earlier the farming aspect. You know, Greeks, for example, were, the, the, the country of Greece is known for olive oil. I have olive groves. Well, my family does, right? Been there for thousands of years through generations. Well, you're not allowed 
to produce so much anymore because we need Portugal to have this percentage of oil production for sale as a totality of the European Union. And we need Spain and we need France and we need, you know, Italy. They need to make some oil. So just because you Greeks have trees, literally, I have trees on olive groves from my mother's side of the family that are literally thousands of years old. So our oil's better, okay? (laughs) But that's my point, that they won't allow free competition to say, you know what, you've been hugging and petting and talking to that olive tree for thousands of years so you make better oil and better olives. That's proper competition. You, I don't know, use a special fertilizer and make better almonds than someone else does that's competition you always have an edge over your competition i mean that is basic biology too it's competition yet these agreements and not just and i'm not talking about just the eu talking about the united states are one-sided always because in its redistribution this is socialism It's kind of like saying, I work really hard. I went to school for 25 years. I serve my country. I do all this. And I make, let's pretend, you know, $500,000. And then the guy next to me didn't work as hard, didn't do anything, but yet he's going to take some of my money because it's only fair that all of us are able to buy televisions and that all of us get to eat the same food. This is what these trade agreements are. And the reason I'm introducing this to you is because this week, this is going to be coming to the forefront because we hear about trade wars and everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's tariffs. It's not just that. It's simple. Things like this across all industries. From water bottling, to cigarette production, to fishing, to cows, to milk, to wheat, to soybeans, all these facets of regulating what you're allowed to do and what you can't. And, you know, if your farm suddenly has a great harvest and you've created one ton instead of the half a ton you're allowed, you're going to have to burn that half a ton or give it away for free and maybe not even give it away for free because that'll disrupt the market. So you're going to sell your half a ton like you could and the other half, you got to burn it because that's what the regulations say. Kind of like what that reporter said, but the fish is dead. Why are you throwing it back? Law is the law. Are you seeing what I'm trying to explain to you? That this global order that Merkel is referring to, that this socialism, this, this wave of wanting the socialism is not just about people and their wages and healthcare. It penetrates every single facet of every single industry and every single thing we do. I can't believe I'm out of time. Really shoddy because the connection in the stream was constantly getting disrupted. But later on today, I will have that uploaded and you can subscribe on TuneIn and um, iTunes, all podcasts, you can find it. Um, On that note, tomorrow I will be having Cindy. We're going to be talking Mexico. We're going to be talking deep dive into Mexico. Uh, From all of us here at Red State, I want to wish you guys a great evening, a happy and healthy one. And when people start talking trade or telling you that President Trump doesn't know what he's talking about, refer to simple things like this. Maybe that'll make sense to them. Take it one by one, because if you see it all individually, it makes sense. God bless. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place. 
12 to 2 Eastern on Red State Talk Radio.